Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is building a freight juggernaut again with Michael Leto. Hey, Mike, how's it going? That's going well, Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to finally interview you. I interviewed Andrew Leto, your brother, not so long ago, and he mentioned you multiple times in the podcast, so I'm glad to finally get to meet you and interview you. The Leto brothers are famous in our business, so it is my pleasure. (laughs) So, Mike, before we go any further, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're located. Yeah, my name is Michael Leto. I'm the co-CEO here at Emerge. We are a digital freight marketplace, and we're located in Scottsdale, Arizona. Very nice, very nice. So what do you guys do and who do you serve? Well, we serve shippers and we also serve carriers as well. We have built this digital freight marketplace that is geared towards the full truckload market. And really what we're providing is advanced procurement tools to logistics professionals that really streamline their operation and also bring you know additional capacity to their organization with as little friction as possible. So what do you mean by advanced procurement tools? Well, you know, our industry and most of the procurement that happens in especially the full truckload space is done via Excel spreadsheets, emails, and phone calls. And that's really what we saw when we were building Global Trans and building our full truckload division over there was that shippers are really just shooting out blast emails to multiple vendors in order to procure their trucks, especially on the spot side. And then as far as RFPs are concerned, you know, Excel spreadsheets, same thing, blasting it out to 40 or 50 vendors, aggregating all that data onto Excel spreadsheets, you know, and then making their final awards. So when we recognized that at Global Trans, we made the decision that, you know, we wanted to really start a digital freight marketplace, the first of its kind, and offer an RFP platform, offer a spot platform, and allow shippers to get away from Excel spreadsheets, emails, and phone calls and utilize a platform in order to connect to their current vendors and then also add additional capacity to the mix as well. Well, you mentioned Global Trans, so let's get into a little bit of your background before you joined, before you formed Emerge. So where'd you grow up and give us some career highlights and talk a little bit about Global Trans. Yeah, so my brother and I grew up here in Scottsdale. We were born in New York City, Long Island, and our family moved out here when we were very young. I was less than a year old. And my father actually was in the air freight industry and came out here and became a franchisee of Pilot Air Freight. And that's how we grew up. You know, we spent our summers in the warehouse loading trucks and inventory control and helping out with operations. Immediately after graduating high school, I started working directly for my father. My brother was in the Navy at the time. And that's really where, you know, I got my logistics chops was, you know, managing a small mom and pop air freight forwarder. My brother was in the Navy. September 11th happened and it made it very difficult. At that point, we weren't franchisees of pilot anymore. We'd branched off on our own and it made it very hard for small mom and pop air freight forwarders to operate after September 11th. You know, planes planes weren't (laughs) in the air for a couple months. Our business literally died that day. You know, we had a few employees at the time that also worked with us and, you know, we had to lay all of them off and it was just my father and I. My brother got out of the Navy in early 2003 and said, look, we need to diversify the type of freight that we're moving. Air freight's a very small piece of the puzzle as far as transportation is concerned. So let's get into trucking. And that's when Global Trans was formed. You know, so we started to really cater to eBay shippers. And, you know, we'd call eBay shippers. We were advertising online. Yahoo was actually bigger than Google back then. And we'd advertise on AdWords. And, you know, we started advertising and getting shippers. You know, a lot of them were consumers. They were buying things on eBay. They'd call UPS and FedEx and say, hey, I've got a 300-pound item. And UPS and FedEx weren't in the freight game back then, you know, and they'd say, well, you need to, you know, this is freight and we move, you know, under 150 pounds. So you need to go find a a freight company and people would go online, type in, you know, freight provider. And that's where we were advertising. So that's really where, you know, we got our start and we realized, you know, we were competing against some really advanced companies that were a lot more advanced than we were at the time. You know, we were doing things very manually. We saw what FreightQuote was doing, you know, and that's when my brother really had the vision of, you know, we're utilizing 100% of our proceeds to develop a LTL aggregation platform. And that's when he started to create CarrierRate.com. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So you guys started off thinking this is a largely a consumer business. And at some point, you probably woke up and said, you know, there's a lot of other people moving freight besides eBay people. Must have been like, wow, their whole new world out there. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was pretty eye-opening. And, you know, in our industry, it's not uh, really advertising. You know, you never see a freight advertisement on, on <laughs> right. television. So. <laughs> You know, it's really connecting to those shippers and how do you connect to them? And that's when we started to build the sales force to sell that, sell com. That's really when we started to blow that company up. Yeah. And also you guys are out in Arizona, which is kind of, I suppose there's logistics everywhere, but it's not exactly a hub for logistics activity. Well, it's not Chicago. You know, it's, no. <laughs> uh, it is Arizona, but you know, we're blessed to have, you know, we've got ASU right in our backyard here, U of A and NAU. And that's really where we started to get our talent. And we took, you know, everybody that worked at Global Trans, we took them from knowing nothing about logistics to being pretty fluent in speaking the language. So yeah, being in Arizona, we, it's a, blessing and a curse. We get sunshine, you know, 340 days out of the year, but we don't have that talent pool that Chicago has. Right. We get sunshine here in Michigan the other 20 days that you guys don't get it. <laughs> the adverse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my favorite comedians, and I've read two of his books, is David Spade, and he's always talks about Scottsdale, where he grew up there. Well, he's from, actually, he grew up, he was born here in Michigan and moved to Scottsdale when he was four. And Yeah, and then I think lot, he went to U of A. Yeah, yeah. And not for long, but he was in a, in his book. He talks about being in a fraternity for like he goes, and it just killed me. He goes, <laughs> and then he goes, I finally, I think he was there one year, and then he off to comedy land. But I love what he talks about growing. He grew up out. He said out in the desert. He goes. He said a lot of the, his ideas were from his growing up. He goes, we used to play with shotguns in the desert, me and my brothers. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit different country out here. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, sounds interesting. So. You started Global Trans, and um, talk about. I know it's wildly successful. So, talk a little bit about how Global Trans grew. Yeah, so uh, you know, we didn't really have a lot of funding when we first started. The company was actually funded off of an unemployment check, and my brother, Fancy. yeah, and my brother really started uh, just pushing it. And then once the business model was kind of formed, and and we saw a path there, that's when we kind of merged the two companies together, my father's company and Global Trans, and we started with inside sales, but we really didn't have a lot of funding. So you know, the way that we could grow in this industry, we saw what you know, Unishippers was doing and we saw what Worldwide Express was doing with these franchise models and agent models. And that's when we created our agent model. And that really started to take off just because the platform carryrate.com was really advanced at that time, still, you know, one of the best aggregation tools in the industry. And we just started to get LTL sales reps, third party logistics sales reps, uh, right. you know, finding us online and saying, look, I have these, this huge book of business. I'm making $75,000 a year and, and they give me a Chevy Malibu and uh, Impala, you know, is like the typical LTL sales reps car. And that's all I'm getting. And I've got a $15 million a year book. And, you know, we would do the math with them. Look, if you can get 10% of your freight to move over, you'd be making X. If you can get 15, you'd be making X. If you could be, you know, and really, really started to bring in agents and they just started onboarding their shippers. And it was like a snowball effect. Once it started, it was, right. uh, it, was it was just highly successful. Right. And when you think about like less than truckload, you know, there's not too many carriers that are nationwide. It's just a few handful, right? Mm -hmm. And most are just one region or two regions. So when you're, if you're shipping nationwide, you want to work with three, four, five, seven carriers. And when you're working, you know, so if you find one really good super regional company, they might be able to handle most of your freight, but you really do need multiple ones. So I imagine it was pretty attractive when you said to those agents, Rather than this repping one company that has, you know, this region, you can have a system that gives access to however many carriers you want. Yeah, you take those, you know, regional sales reps and, you know, with AAA Cooper, they're with Dayton, they're with uh, the, these uh, USF and they're really selling to shippers and they were very limited in what they were able to sell because, you know, there wasn't any interline. Back then there wasn't like interlines and nope. exchanges, nothing <laughs> like that. So, yeah, it was highly attracted to them and usually they were able to onboard a really large chunk of their business through our platform. And we really took care of our LTL partners. You know, we, we really treated our LTL carriers as if they were a customer of ours. And, you know, if we got a UPS rep that called us and UPS was one of our best partners, you know, we just wouldn't take their sales reps, you know, so, right. <laughs> you know, we, we really tried to play the game as much as we could. You know, we had three sets of customers. We had our shippers, 
we had our agents and then we had the carrier and we treated all three of those buckets as if they were our customer and usually sided with the uh, carriers in most instances because there's a limited number of carriers. And if carriers start to discontinue you as a a third-party logistics company, what do you have to sell? Really nothing. So that's really, you know, how the success really started to take shape. You know, that what you just said there about taking care of the agent and taking care of the carrier and taking care of the customer and obviously any internal employees, that makes sense when you say it now. But back then, there was a sense by some 3PLs that I won the business and I'm bringing it to these less than truckload companies and they're lucky that I'm bringing that business to them. And I've always felt this way with being in the LTL space is that it's a weird thing to think because the carrier, without the carrier, you're out of business. All they have to say is, yeah, we're going to just bump your rates up to 10%. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're, you're gone. Yeah. And there was a time that I remember one of my carrier reps said, you have better rates than I do on, <laughs> on my trucks. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that happened a lot. And, you know, in making sure that we were taking care of all of the different buckets of individuals that we had, you know, interacting with our organization, UPS Freight was one of our largest partners. And, you know, we kind of flew under the radar with UPS Freight because they really didn't want third party logistics companies reselling their service. And one month we really grew and we got into their top 10 shippers in the United States. We were in the top 10. And that's when their CEO and president, Jack Holmes at the time, he said, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, who are these guys? And, you know, contacted us and Jack Holmes, he's on our board now here at Emerge and and a really good friend of, of my brother and I. And he said, he goes, you know, third party logistics companies, I just have to say, like, I just hated you guys the least. (laughs) Because we were like, uh, you know, at that point, it was kind of a necessary evil for him. And he just knew, you know, that we weren't going to take his sales reps. We were going to be fair, firm and consistent as far as rebills and claims were concerned. And, you know, he really viewed us as a valuable partner uh, in the end. Well, we hear the term now carrier sales. And in the past, you never heard that. It was like, we're building a carrier network. And I can say this, I spent just six months working with a carrier and you know, I thought it was be shooting fish in a barrel after being in a 3PL because so many times when you talk to shippers, they would say something like, oh, do you have your own assets? No. Click. <laughs> so yeah, some people yeah. really like the idea that you have your own trucks. Yep. And I, even though there's some disadvantage to that because very few trucking companies cover the entire United States. So when I went to this trucking company, I thought, well, this is going to be easy. I'm going to love this. God, I found that to be just as difficult, if not more difficult, because you really have to worry about now when, when you're at a trucking company, you have to worry about getting it there and also a backhaul. So every time I would sell something, the, the, the guys who own the company would say, that's great, Joe, you found one way, get us back home now, or we're not taking that business. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> Yeah, so carrier sales, I mean, it's just, you know, now if we want to kind of switch modes here to full truckload, you know, carrier sales, the carrier sales model is under attack. Well, that's, you know, you've got these digital freight brokers that are out there and, you know, their goal is to drive efficiencies to where you don't need a thousand kids sitting in Chicago playing ping pong with their backwards hats on, making phone calls to find out where all the capacity is. You know, and that's really, we got into full truckload when we got our first investment at Global Trans. So we bootstrapped the company up to about $125 million in top line revenue. And then we got our first investment. It was $10 million. And the use of proceeds that we were pitching to these venture firms was we're in the LTL space and we need to get into the full truckload space, which is a way bigger piece of the pie. I mean, it's a six to $800 billion industry as opposed to, you know, I think 20 to 40 billion as far as third party on, on the right. LTL side. You know, and that's what we did. We built a carrier sales model and we just started hiring, you know, 20 people per month and 15 of them went to the carrier side and five of them went to the shipper side. And we just started dialing for dollars and, you know, trying to connect these trucks to shippers. So, you know, carrier sales in the sense of full truckload being under attack. And it is, it's, it's, it's really under attack and really technology is going to really change the way I, I the way we see it is, is kind of like the travel agent industry. There used to be a lot of travel agents and then, you know, all of that data was aggregated and the consumer can go and connect directly to hotels and airlines online. And that's what we're seeing with traditional brokerages. Uh, You know, they're going to have to digitize. They're going to have to change the way that they do business. They're going to have to drive efficiency. And that's really where we're at, you know, in this industry from a full truckload standpoint. Right. You know, Mike, one of the things I've always believed, and I wrote an article about this a few years back, is I think of the freight market 
a freight brokerage, very similar to stock brokerage. And you probably remember a time when the only way you could get into the stock market buying actual stock, not a mutual fund, was you had to go through a stockbroker. And he made three, four hundred bucks on your when buying you in. And then when you sold, he got three or four hundred bucks. And there was the only whether it went up right, or down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I remember that if you were to talk to those guys, they all had those nice offices with the glass wall, secretary, the whole shoot match, and they would say it's a relationship business. Michael works with me because he likes me. Well, what they were is they had locked in. There was no way around them. And then Schwab came around in 78, but I don't really think discount hit until the internet. And then it's funny, somebody who's listening who's not as old as I am will go, oh, what do you mean you would buy three, $400 for a transaction? That's what it cost. Yeah. And that's why people like me, most people would go, I'm not going through a stock broker. I'll, I'll buy mutual funds. Most people did not own individual stocks unless you had quite a bit of money. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, at, the, at that point, the stockbrokers felt like things would never change. You know, they, right. they'd be doing <laughs> right. the same thing forever. And, you know, only the ones that really adapted and, you know, were able to provide the technology that, you know, was the driving force behind their business was able to survive. Right. And what happened is the market said, hey, transactions aren't that expensive. They're six, seven, eight bucks. Robinhood does it for free. And both those guys all morphed into financial planners of some sort or went away, picked another business. But now they now if you're working with a financial planner, formerly a stockbroker, he's talking about your retirement fund, your kids savings for college, talking about what do you plan to do with your life, right? Yeah. So take that and translate it to this business. You know, the brokerages, the traditional brokerages are all trying to figure out ways to now differentiate themselves. And it's really about driving efficiencies and not having the headcount necessary right. to operate their business. So that's really the evolution that, you know, we're seeing in this industry. Right. So I want to switch gears a little bit. So the today's topic is building a freight juggernaut again. So with Michael Leto. So Michael, you and your brother and the team, you guys built this juggernaut at Global Trans. And then at some point, you left and started a brand new juggernaut over at Emerge. So talk about that transition. Yeah. So, you know, as we were winding down at Global Trans, we did see that this was the future and that not only is technology coming in this industry, but now ventures coming in this industry and a lot of money starting to flow in. And, you know, we saw that things were going to change. And that's really when my brother said, look, let's stop doing what we're doing from a traditional brokerage standpoint and let's go out and try to change the way that this industry operates. And, you know, so the reason why my brother and I are really so successful is because we like to surround ourselves with people that are much smarter than us. You know, we, we've got passion and, you know, my brother's really great with vision and building product and me on the, you know, execution and culture building side. But we really like to surround ourselves with the best people. And coming here, we got the band back together. You know, Jack Holmes now sits on our board. We've got George Abernathy from Freywaves that sits on our board. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and we've got, you know, we brought our CTO in, we brought our senior vice president of enterprise sales in, and, you know, we've done this before, and we know, you know, what needs to be done in order right. to get over those hurdles on a daily basis. And, you know, really the team that we've built is uh, really the driving force behind the success we've seen with our platform adoption. Right. So by, by no means, when you said winding down at Global Trans, I want to make it clear that Global Trans did not wind down. They just keep booming. Yeah, so. well, our time, <laughs> our, our time was, was winding down. And that, and that was one of the reasons why we left, because our, you know, our private equity partner really wanted to go on an acquisition tear. And we'd gotten the company from zero to $750 million, 100% organic. There was never one acquisition that was made. We just wanted to build the biggest distribution model, the biggest distribution channel that we possibly could. And that's what we did with the agent network. I think when we left, we had somewhere around 300 agents that were generating, you know, 550 to $600 million in revenue on an annual basis. So yeah, you know, it was a, a situation where we were winding down our private equity firm. They wanted to go on an acquisition tear and really started to bring in as many companies as possible. And that really, right. that's, that's really not, you know, how my brother's made up from a building standpoint, you know, he wants to really build things from the ground up and, and create platforms that really, you know, change the way that shippers are doing business today. So, you know, that was really the driving force behind uh, the exit at that point. Yep. So when you exit, I asked your brother this because I interviewed my podcast. When you exited, you guys worked your butts off all these years. How many years were you at Global Trans? I was there for 10 years. 
Nice. At that nice. point. Yep. And did you take a few weeks off, a month off, six months off and have fun, spend some of your money? Zero time off. <laughs> we took, took zero. <laughs> Literally, I, I think uh, I think Thursday was my last day at Global Trans, and we already had meetings going on. Uh, we we I met with a, a couple of members of the team on Sunday, and we were off to the races on Monday. Oh, so you took Friday and Saturday off, slacker? <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple days. It was uh, it was nice. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So we talked about the success of Global Trends. I know Emerge is still new, but you guys have done very well. So this, you guys have created another freight juggernaut. So talk about what you guys have done and why it's been boom, just like similar to the way Global Trends has. Yeah. So we started out offering a spot platform and the idea was, you know, we were sitting at, at Global Trans on our full truckload floor and we saw the way that the opportunities were flowing into the company. And the way that that was happening was via phone call and email blasts, you know, and sometimes these shippers with email blasts, they forget to BCC and you see like, oh, there's 200 other right. logistics right. companies and trucking companies that are actually looking at this opportunity as well. Isn't that a bummer? Like, I, I don't even, I would, I've gotten those. I wouldn't even answer those. Those, those feel ridiculous to me. No, we never saw that as a bummer because that was a great uh, agent lead list for us. <laughs> you know, we would we, we would then uh, we would then have a hundred freight providers that we could then go and target and try to offer them the ability to start their own business through our platform. So, but yeah, I mean, the sales reps would get pretty discouraged at that point. Like, oh, I I thought I was a valued partner of this uh, shipper, and all of a sudden I see there's 250 other email addresses right. that are getting this opportunity. Right. But we saw that that's how it worked. You know, we saw that that's how these shippers were engaging with our organization. And we said, look, there's got to be a better way. And we created our spot platform. And really what that allowed was for these shippers to take that list of 250 vendors or 40 or 20 or 10 or whatever, whatever the number was, right. load them into our platform and start to communicate to them through our platform as opposed to email, as opposed to going through each email and emails got a lot better than it was 10 years ago. Right. As far as, you know, shuffling through all the responses that you're getting back. But it really isn't the most efficient way in order to connect to your network of providers. Right. So, you know, we created that spot platform. We allowed shippers to come in, bring their brokers, bring their carriers, and start to communicate their needs from a full truckload standpoint directly to their network while we were, you know, we have a force of sales representatives that are contacting carriers to get them into our platform so that they can connect to that freight directly as well. So we offer a free spot platform to where shippers can come in and communicate to their current network and also get added capacity and carriers that are looking for, you know, exactly what that company's, you know, trying to move. And we're just adding a little bit more capacity to the mix. So even with our spot platform, you know, we have with all of our platforms, we have almost two billion dollars worth of freight moving through our platforms at this point. And Jeez, we <laughs> well, we capture, but we capture about 10% of that. The other so, 90% is still going to the incumbents and the brokers and the carriers that they've always done business with. You know, we're just uh, providing a free platform and allowing carriers to come and connect. And really, I mean, it's, it's about 10% that we actually capture and, you know, generate revenue on. So I'm a simpleton. So let me walk through a scenario here, Michael. So let's just say I'm a shipper and I do, I move 10 truckloads a week. And I'm working with two different carriers and one broker, depending. And so I say, hey, I'm going to get this free copy of Emerge. And now I'm in that, and that's not free copy. I just go on your, I register, I get on there, it's free. Now I can say, all right, I put both my carriers on there and then I put my broker on there. So I can still do business the way I've always done it, except now I've got a better record. Now I'm not dependent on emails. Is that the right Yep. And, you, you know, you have a better way of engaging with those three providers. You also have visibility. We have P44 visibility in our platform. So you're seeing your trucks move on a map. We're giving advanced reporting as well. So even just, you know, with a shipper that's just dealing with their incumbent carriers, you know, we're giving them a platform and tools that really drive efficiency within their right. process every day. Right. You know, I work with a lot of large shippers talking to them about different things. And one who I respect very much, that sounds like a hundred million dollars a year said to me, when are we going to get rid of email? Because he doesn't like the idea that there's all these emails going around. It's not a system of record. 
right? It's not, I would hate it if I had to, you know, scoop that up and go, see, I sent this email. Didn't you see it? And you go, no, I didn't. Oh, well, now you owe me more money. Much better to have all the communication within that system. So getting back to it, I got my two carriers in there and I've got my broker. I have more control over it. I have metrics. I have visibility, all these great things. I'm happy. How do you guys make any money? You gave that to me for free. (laughs) Yeah, so while you're engaging with those three providers and they're coming back and putting their rates into the platform and you see it kind of in like a Travelocity type of view, we have 30,000 carriers that are registered within our platform and they build lane alerts and things of that nature, where they want to come from, where they want to go to, what kind of specifications they're looking for. And then when that load comes in, if there's a match, then uh, you know we're sending an email directly to that carrier saying, hey, you've got a match within our platform. And then they can come in and say, all right, yeah, I, I do want to handle this transaction for XYZ Shipper. You know, I want to want to put $1,000 into the platform. And then if that rate is selected, our shippers know that we add 9.9% to our transactions. The carriers know whatever rate they put in, 9.9% is going to go directly on top of that and be exposed to the shipper. And that's where we make our money. And it's transparent on both sides. You know, and traditional brokerages are usually making, you know, if you look at Robinson and Coyote and all these other companies, they're making 15 to 20% profit margins on full truckloads. So, you know, because of the automated nature of the transaction, we can lower that. You know, we still have insurance costs and, you know, compliance costs and development costs, but we can just do it at a lower take rate than most traditional brokerages can. Right. And you know, this comes up on my podcast all the time is we are seeing margin compression. But one of the things that I think we had this discussion when we we're prepping is that there's a lot of times carriers feel like, man, oh man, I'm not making the kind of money that the broker I talk to every day does. And, <laughs> and that's a bad feeling because they're the one who spent the money on the truck. They're the ones who's driving the truck. They're the one who's got to do the maintenance. And then they feel like maybe that guy's making a big commission on me, which would not feel good if you were not making much margin yourself. Yeah, you know, these carriers, they've got a tough, tough road ahead, I guess you could say. It's, you know, they've got the maintenance, they've got to pay for the insurance, you know, and then they're really trying to squeeze a few points, you know, out of their business from a profitability standpoint. And traditional brokerages are making pretty good profit margins, you know, and they're providing a good service. You know, they put a lot into making sure that they aggregate as much capacity as possible. They have as much carrier relationships as possible. So they are providing a good service. You know, you look at, you know, AB InBev just named Molo, you know, Andrew Silver's company, the carrier of the year because they're providing a very good service to the shipper. And it's something that, you know, AB is very appreciative of. So, right. you know, that's the brokers are they're always going to be around. You know, it's who's going to digitize and who's going to do things efficiently. And but really the carriers, you know, the, you got to kind of feel for the carriers as far as this, the profitability is concerned, because they're really just trying to squeeze a couple points out of each of these transactions. So getting back to my scenario there, I'm a small shipper and I bring my two carriers over and I bring over my broker. They're fine working in that system. And what you say is, Joe, I'll, I'll bring you some other assets. If you, I'll bring you some other partners if you want. So as I grow, or let's just say during COVID, my carriers fall down on me and I need additional help. You'll say, that's no problem. We'll bring in as many as you want to bid on my freight. Yeah. So they're all, you know, the carriers are engaged through the platform. So if there's a match, then capacity will come. You know, you don't put the load in and all of a sudden 30,000 carriers bid on your transaction. But, you know, a couple of assets per transaction are coming in and putting in a price. And like I said, I mean, you know, we're usually capturing about 10% of the freight that's moving through the platform. So it's like the equivalent of you adding a fourth partner, another broker. So now you have two carriers and two brokers and, you know, in your mix. So it's not like, you know, there hasn't been, you know, we're not making a huge impact and taking a bunch of business away from anyone. We're really trying to, and that's really our business model is trying to be agnostic and trying to, you know, provide tools to everyone. You know, we get a lot of... You're also bringing a marketplace to the party, which is kind of nice because we all, I mean, many shippers work with multiple carriers and maybe even multiple brokers and maybe a 3PL, right? And if they're international, they've got something even separate. And what you're saying is, yeah, I recognize that. I'm not trying to upset the apple cart. I'm just going to bring you a tool to help manage all of us. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's really been you know, why we've seen the growth that we've seen here at Emerge and it's gone so quickly, you know, because we're really, you know, we've got APIs into digital brokers. So anybody that you want to do business with as a shipper, you have the ability to come in and do business with them. So I see the real advantage for me as a shipper because I know I can manage my stuff better, my business better. And there's advantage to the carrier because he says, look, I know uh, 
I can potentially get lots of extra business this way by getting part of this marketplace. What about brokers? How do they feel about this? Like I said, I mean, it's 10% of the business that we're capturing at this point. So we really haven't heard anything you know, as far as blowback in that area. And we also, you know, there's some great brokers within our platform. And sometimes, you know, shippers will call us and say, you know, I'm really struggling. The marketplace does bring some capacity and I've got these couple brokers, but I'm really just struggling. Do you have any other options for us? And we'll take some of the highly rated brokers in our platform and introduce them to some of our shippers. Nice. Really, yeah, we're just trying to, we're really just trying to, you know, create the best platform for everyone to do business together. And really, you know, the amount of efficiency that drives and, you know, because think about this, Joe, you've got, you know, you could call C.H. Robinson, you can call Global Trans, you can call Coyote. And depending on the broker that you're dealing with at that company, <laughs> will tell you how strong that company is. There's a couple brokers, you know, I remember in my Global Trans days, there was a broker that Phoenix to Los Angeles, no one could touch this guy. He right. could get the best rate, he had the best relationships. But if one of my shippers didn't have access to that one individual, then they weren't getting, you know, the best Phoenix to right. Los Angeles rate. So, you know, that's how fragmented this industry is. And really bringing everything together is the overall goal. And as, you know, the density continues to increase and continues to increase, we can take those brokers and the carriers that have these lanes that they just run in the most effective way possible and offer that service to the other shippers that are in our platform. Excellent, excellent. Well, I really like the idea of it. So again, today's topic is building a freight juggernaut, again, with Michael Leto. So you've done it at Global Trends, you've done it, you're doing it at Emerge. So when we're talking offline, we talked about you know some of the things that go into this. So not everybody's building juggernauts. There's lots of people who build companies out there, brokers and 3PLs, but not like Global Trends and not like Emerge. What is the secret sauce? What do you got to do to be successful, that successful, in this freight business? Well, it helps. My brother has, you know, what I feel and many people echo, you know, the best vision when it comes to this industry. And the way that we develop products, and we've had the same CTO for about 10 years now, it's great to see that, you know, we could build products that are really making a difference for shippers. Once you have that, you know, you then have to make sure that you have the right team in place, which we talked about earlier and making sure that, you know, we have you know, the best and the brightest in this industry that come and work with us and then building a great culture. And that's really where, you know, we feel like we differentiate ourselves in that we want people to come in every day and be passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, it's a difficult thing, especially, you know, as a startup and especially doing things differently than the industry has operated previously. And, you know, some things work and some things don't. And sometimes you have to redirect the ship and redirecting <laughs> right. the Titanic, you know, you're going to hit an iceberg most of the time. So, right. you know, just making sure that, you know, from a cultural standpoint, we make sure we communicate to every single level of the organization. I get up, you know, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at nine o'clock and really just tell everyone everything that's going on at the organization to make sure that there's full transparency. And, you know, I think people really appreciate that. And we've won a lot of awards, you know, best place to work in Phoenix in our category. You know, at the time, 50 to 150 employees. We were ranked number five. We were just ranked number 23 on Forbes's best startup cultures, best startup employers. So, you know, we feel that it's just transparency, communication. You know, there's going to be tough days. There's going to be good days. And uh, as long as we're communicating to our people and they know what the end goal is every single day, we could usually get the ship to turn pretty quickly and, right. uh, you know, get the job done. Yep. When I interviewed your brother, when we were prepping, he kept saying, you have to talk to my brother, Michael. You have to talk to my And then he said it during the podcast. And then after <laughs> he said, you have to talk to Michael. And he said, I've got a good sense for where the business is going. He goes, but he's really good at building this culture. So you mentioned this all hands meeting once, three times a week. So that helps. But you must be saying the right things also, because lots of people can talk. I talked all the time. That doesn't inspire <laughs> people to, doesn't necessarily change the culture. So you, you're trying to be transparent. You're trying to talk about the company problems, honestly, authentically. What else do you do besides that? I mean, how do you have these cultures that just do well enough that the companies boom? Well, we employ a lot of millennials. And you know, traditionally, millennials are a tough group to motivate. So we try to do extreme things and we try to do really fun things. So, you know, I walk around the office and bet 
people and you know we've got bags and and we've got ping pong and we've got all these games here and people will challenge me and you know they either can win money or you know there's going to be some kind of consequence that we predetermine like you have to shave your head or <laughs> you have to uh you know get a, a full manicure with a full uh you know long set of nails and you know so i, I i've always which isn't that, bad for the females in the office well but. <laughs> i don't do it for them that's just a free that's just that's just free services no but you know i really want, uh, like to do things different. make it fun yeah and make it fun and you know people appreciate that especially you know in this industry you know people you're on the phones all day sometimes you're just getting your teeth kicked in every single day and and you can make 100 phone calls 150 phone calls and nothing comes of it and you know we understand that so you know we try to do as as we have as much fun as we possibly can you know we've got music going out there and uh, walk the floor a couple times a day and just try to engage with as many people as possible and hear what their struggles are and you know try to take that feedback and make the company better so we do pulse check-ins every 30 days or so as uh, you know in the first 90 to 120 days just to make sure we're getting all the feedback from the people all the time. We take that feedback and we talk about it in our sacred meetings every Monday as an executive team. And, you know, we really try to take the feedback and make this place a great place to work for people. That's just yep. the, the the goal that we have every single day. You know, years ago when I still worked in automotive, I remember, I won't mention the company name, but one of the big automotive suppliers, I was working inside of there. I was working on a project for them. And so they kept getting sucked into their cultural things. And I remember one of the things that bugged me to no end, and it wasn't just me. It was a lot of us. They said, oh, we're going to have Hawaiian shirt day. And then another time, like, hey, we're going to do game night. We're all going to go out and play games at Dave and Buster's or something. And I was like, <laughs> I, was like I don't want to do this. I'm, I consider myself a good team player. I'm the guy who wants this project to succeed. But what bugged me was, and I told them, I remember talking to the people there. I said, what bugs me about this is I want to go out, bust my ass on a project that I think is worthwhile. I want to make good money. And then I want to go celebrate real successes. I don't want to wear a Hawaiian shirt and pretend like my life got better because of it. <laughs> I don't want to go play games after working. You know, if you work somewhere and you say, this wasn't good. I didn't do anything good this week. I'm not making good money. And now life's good because I went to Dave and Buster's and played video games <laughs> that did nothing for me. So you must be doing something to align everybody to the business results too. Yeah. I mean, that's it is we've always had extreme growth and, you know, when, when our people are here and they, you know, they were one of the first 20 employees and now they see that we've got 175 employees. They saw our business when we had $0 in revenue and now we're generating, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue. It's that continual growth. And they feel like they're a part of something and they know that we've done this before. You know, it was harder at Global Trans because we hadn't done it before. And, right. you know, we're kind of unproven. So, you know, we'd get up and talk about all these grandiose plans. And most of the time those plans worked and we executed pretty well. This time is a lot easier just because, you know, they, you know, our people understand like, OK, you know, across the street, there's a thousand people sitting over there at a two billion dollar third party logistics company. You know, this team knows what they're doing. And, you know, so it's been much easier this time around. Are you across the street from Global Trans? Right across the freeway. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Literally right across the freeway. Right. Well, yeah, so you've been there, done that. Michael, you keep all this up. You're going to be able to take another day off someday. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, after, after this one, I'm taking months, I think, Joe. I'm going, to take, I'm going to take months next time. So to build that freight juggernaut, in case somebody's listening and says, I would like to build freight juggernauts like Andrew and Mike and their teams, and first you said you have to have that vision. And you said that that was kind of Andrew initially. And then he brought the team in behind him. And he kept saying this when I interviewed him is you got to bring in a team behind you to execute on that vision. And it was funny because it wasn't a lot of talk of strategy. It wasn't a lot of talk of anything other than got to recruit a great team. And so vision, team, and this, the people in the culture, we talked about the culture. Besides that, what else do you have to be good at? Talk a little bit about the customer because I know that's part of it. Yeah. So, you know, the pain points of the shipper, sending out those emails, making the phone calls, only being able to have 40 vendors because that's all your organization can really handle. So think about that. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of trucking companies out there and the average shipper in our platform has 11 partners. That's the, the average for every shipper. Now you take some of the big fortune 500s, they've got two, 300 vendors. 
but still two to 300 vendors and there's over a hundred thousand vendors. Yeah. What's the chances you're working with the right ones? (laughs) Yeah. You know, every, every truckload, I tell our people all the time for every truckload that moves, that truck probably passes one to two trucks that was better suited to move that load. (laughs) You know, so, you know, that's just the, the state of the industry that we're in. But really what we want to do is provide the best platforms for the shipper to streamline their organization, streamline the operation, make their day-to-day easier, but then also that added benefit of bringing capacity to you where it's transparent. So it's different than a traditional brokerage where they say, hey, we're going to bring you carriers, but you never know who the carrier is. In our instance, you know who the carrier is and we're really, you know, we're connecting that carrier and that shipper together and they don't have to have 20,000 relationships in order to find the best, right. the best capacity. So you know, I think that's really what the differentiator is with our business model. Well, and so this, I'll just, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but I know it's to be true is that when you guys started Global Trans, it, the technology in the freight space was relatively new. You were probably one of the pioneers in that. And, but what's interesting now, flash forward 20 years, it's different. People don't look and go, oh, wow, you have a TMS. Now, how exciting. That's fantastic. State of the art. That's kind of table stakes. That's, there's an expectation. So what I think you guys have done is you've understood that customer well enough that you could say, I know another pain point that's not being taken care of. Yeah. So that, you know, it's been quite some time. We've been in this industry for 20 years or so. So, you know, really digging into shippers and what their pain points are every single day and iterating upon our product to match what their needs are is definitely a balancing act. You know, that's, uh, you know, because every shipper is a little bit different. Every shipper does it a different way, you know, but really it's all basically the same. So we really try to take as much customer feedback as we possibly can in order to really drive our product. And, and it's been successful. Another thing, Joe, that we didn't talk about as far as building any kind of a large transportation company, a freight juggernaut, as we're talking about, is funding. You know, we <laughs> There was no funding the first go around, was there? <laughs> there wasn't any funding the first go around, but we were in the LTL space and we were dealing with eBay shippers initially. So eBay shippers paid us via credit card. Oh, nice. <laughs> right at the time that they booked the transaction before we even picked it up. And the LTL carriers, I mean, you know, it was 30 day terms, but they wouldn't really call us until the 45th day. And, you know, they wouldn't they weren't going to shut us off until we got to like the 60th day. So that's right. really how we bootstrapped the initial company. This time around, it's been a lot easier. Obviously, you know, we had a, a big cash exit as far as Global Trans is concerned. So we're able to fund it, you know, the company initially. But having financial partners is definitely something that's helped. And, you know, we've raised somewhere around $70 million for Emerge so far. And we've got three, you know, major venture capital firms that are a part of the organization now. So, right. you know, f- trying to find the right funding partner or at least the cash source that's going to keep your business moving forward is really the next, the other missing piece that we didn't talk about. You got the vision, right. the product, you got the team, you've got the passion, you've got the culture. You got to have the funding as well. And, you know, building technology is not really cheap, especially, you know, when you're trying to solve complex problems. So right. that's really the last piece of the puzzle. Yep. Well, one of the things I think it came up when I spoke to your brother, but the idea of people bring money and but they also might bring different ideas. And I think you kind of alluded to it with Global Trends. They had different ideas and you said, hey, you know what? We're no longer aligned with our partners. No hard feelings. You guys go continue that way. We're going to go do something else. When you're bringing on VCs, you're saying we're going to take your money, but we're also going to have to, you're in effect coming on as a partner. And hopefully they're adding value to that, right? Our partners are unbelievable. And, you know, our partners deal in the space already. Nine Yards Capital and Graycroft and New Road, you know, they do a lot within the logistics space already. And, you know, especially with a firm like New Road, they've brought Tracy Black, who used to be head of IT of JB Hunt, and she's now on our board. And having her as a as a resource is just unbelievable. And then a couple of our other partners, Nine Roads and Graycroft, they've got you know, other platforms and kind of complementary companies that they've invested in in this industry. So it's really unbelievable just the people that we've surrounded ourselves with from, you know, our board and having Jack Holmes on the board and Tracy Black and a couple of other members of our board. It's been uh, really a blessing to be able to, you know, have them as a, you know, sounding board and, and right. to be able to help us as far as strategy and direction is concerned. Right. You know, one other thing, and, and I think it probably was different with Global Trans, but now I think we talked about this when we're prepping is 
the way freight brokers make money was always the spread model, right? So I, I got the truck for 800 bucks and I'm charging 1200 bucks. We made 400. I get a piece of that as the broker. Life is good. You got a but, good profit margin there. Joe. Right. 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 Well, when I was still doing 3PL, I had very high expectations of my team. <laughs> but we talked about there's margin compression. And I think one of the things, and I've, I've experienced this with when I talk to shippers, is they, I don't mind my partners making money. I just want to know how much they're making. And I want to understand if the market's going up or if just my rates are going up. Mm-hmm. And FreightWaves has done a fantastic job of creating, and DAT and others have created this tool that tells me, you know, are rates going up or not? Now, it's not anecdotal anymore. But what I think also, I want to have transparency. So you guys, in Emerge, you have transparency. I know how much, I know how much money you're making. And I'm, I think most people would go, that's fair, right? Yeah, and we're not making any money. We're in high growth mode and developing a lot and bringing on a lot of talent. But yeah, as far as the transparency on both sides and just really creating a more right. level playing field and a more fair environment in order for these companies to transact with each other has really been great. Get back to that stockbroker model. <laughs> Stockbrokers didn't talk about what they charged. They charged a lot. And now they talk about $6 trades, $5 trades, free trades, 20 free trades, whatever it might be. They've changed. And I think the business is better for it. So I'm going to summarize. Then I want to get your final thoughts. And then I want to get some how we reach out and talk to you guys. So we talked about if you're going to build a freight juggernaut, you have to have a vision. And you really, part of that vision is really understanding the pain points of the customer. You've created some kind of a brand new space. You're not a digital freight broker. You're a digital marketplace. And in addition, you have to get really good people and you have to develop a great culture with those people. And then you have to, you talked also about the technology. You have to develop great technology. That's a given these days. Talked about bringing in great partners with funding. Who did that? And transparency. So did I hit it all there, (laughs) Michael? Did I miss anything? I think so. You know, that's the formula in which we've always tried to create these organizations. And, you know, it's been a, a winning scenario for us. So. Yeah. And again, I, you keep this up and you're going to have another day off soon. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, so, maybe. Tell us what's new over at Emerge. Who do you guys serve and how do people reach out and start working with you? Yeah. So shippers and carriers alike can go to EmergeMarket.com and see what kind of you know tools that we have that can help them in managing their business. We've got an RFP platform for RFP procurement for you know annual bids and seasonal bids and a spot platform as well. We connect to you know many of the TMSs out there. So you know if you're a shipper and you're trying to find other ways to manage your business, to procure freight, to connect to more capacity. We're not saying, you know, you need to switch your TMS provider. This is a, you know, this is a situation where we connect into your TMS. That's where you're executing. We can API into any TMS platform. You can push that information into our platform and still be able to get the benefits of the platform itself. So yeah, just, you know, as far as the shippers are concerned, they can go to EmergeMarket.com. Carriers can go to EmergeMarket.com to start connecting to shippers. And that's really another key is uh, allowing carriers to now come in and bid directly on RFPs when they really haven't had the opportunity to do so before. Right, right. So that's really, uh, that's been great for us as well. So one question you mentioned, so you do spot. Your system will will help me with my spot quotes, which is great because there's been a lot of need for that in the last year. But you also mentioned RFPs. So let's just say, getting back to a scenario, I'm a shipper. I know a lot of shippers said, I don't want to go get, I don't want to do an RFP for a year. I want to do it for a quarter. Are are more and more companies switching that way? Yes. Yeah. You know, with the volatility in the market, especially now with rates being as high as they are, locking in rates for a year at this point is, you know, unless the volatility of rates throughout the year is the biggest problem for an organization and they're really high on service, those companies are still going out for annual bid right now. And, you know, they'll kind of take their lumps for the year as the market kind of, you know, sizzles down a little bit, so to speak. So yeah, it's uh, most companies are coming in and doing RFPs dynamically now. And, you know, by that? Well, running a bid for a big 4th of July boom that they'll have because they're a consumer-based organization that is... Yeah, is, seasonal is seasonal people are do that a lot. Yeah, and uh, or maybe a three-month bid, you know, just to lock in pricing for three months and see where the market is two months from now and see if you need to do it for another three months or if, if at that point you want to go out and put your annual bid. So, you know, before to handle an RFP, you know, we have one shipper out of California, a, a furniture manufacturer, that they... It would take three people two to three months 
to run their RFP. They right. were doing it via Excel right. spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, they're sending it out to uh, multiple vendors out there, aggregating that data and making their awards. They actually ran their annual RFP about three weeks ago. And instead of three people, three months, it took one person two weeks. Right. Because they literally could just get into our platform. You know, they didn't have to aggregate any of the data from, you know, 50 Excel spreadsheets that they were sending out there. All the information's there. They could award in the platform. The contract is in the platform. You know, the carrier signs it, the shipper signs it, and it's complete. So, you know, just that ease of use and being able to be a little more dynamic in the way that they're running their RFPs, doing it in different intervals, being able to do it much more effectively and efficiently. You know, that's really, you know, why the uh, why our RFP platform is, is really, really taken off. Yeah. So if you I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but <laughs> I will anyway. What percentage of companies are doing quarterly versus yearly now? Do you have a sense for that? Is it growing? Yeah, so it's definitely growing. So, you know, about a year ago, right before COVID hit, it was mainly, you know, 80% of it was annual RFPs. And what we're seeing now is that it's more like a 50-50 split. Right. You know, it's definitely diminished from an annual standpoint because of the volatility. And, you know, people don't really know where the market's going to go. So, you know, it's definitely been shifting more to seasonality as opposed to annual. Right. Well, if you use emerge, it's easy to do. So maybe maybe if it's painful, you say, oh, it's painful enough. We do it once a year. I, I don't want to do it anymore. But if you make it easy, you can do it uh, quarterly. And here's another thing. This is just my feeling on it. I think we all want a partnership with our 3PLs and our shippers want partnerships with their carriers and their brokers and 3PLs. I don't like the idea that, yeah, you know, I'm killing it as a 3PL because rates went down since the RFP. I also don't like the other side, which is, yeah, my carriers are going broke because rates skyrocketed. That To me, this is, uh, we have to have partnerships. And that gets back to this transparency and the business model you guys talk about. <laughs> I want everyone to get paid. I don't want everyone getting super rich on my business, but I want everyone I work with to, to get paid fairly. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that's our mission. You know, our mission is to empower meaningful logistics relationships through technology. And if you really break that down, you know, what we're really saying is, yes, this industry is extremely relationship based. And, you know, it is, there is more of a personal touch to this industry than the travel industry, as I mentioned earlier, where, right. you know, you'd use a travel agent that's uh, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes with big hair at her desk in a strip <laughs> mall, getting you your tickets, you know, to the cruise that you want to go on. And this is a little bit more intricate than that. This is a little more personal than that. And we don't want to try to take that away at any point. You know, this is, like I said, very, very relationship based business. And that's really what we're trying to do with our platform is just allow them to, make more of those connections in a more efficient way. Right. Well, it lets you manage a whole bunch of these relationships in a better way, and uh, I like that. Yep. Anyway, Michael, this was excellent, and uh, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, put a link to Emerge, and anything that Eilish or Brielle gives me, I will put those links into the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you guys, and thank you very much. This was excellent. Yeah, Joe, it was great. That was very good. You're a great interviewer. I don't know. Uh, it's gonna, It's like a contest now. Who's better, you or Dooner? I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Dooner. I loved having. I liked having Dooner on my podcast. I like going on his too. He's very good at this. He he's got the gift. So well, you do too, Joe. I appreciate you. And uh, you know, if you ever need anything, feel free to reach out. Eilish can get you my contact information as well in case you ever need anything. Yep. Oh, you already have it. You have my email address. Yep. So I'll put all that stuff in there. And thank you very much, Michael. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 